millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. one and all and welcome to another episode of Book Off. I'm Joe Haddow and I have the pleasure of sharing a studio and a sofa with two brilliant authors. One, a journalist and former chef, the other a creative writing teacher and former support worker. Simon Rowe, Jess Kidd, welcome to you both. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Book Off. Thank you. Thank you. For being you look very uh, comfortable there. You're sort of lounging. Semi-reclining Semi on this very lovely leatherette sofa. It's beautiful. We treat you well here, yeah, you see. Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. And we've all had about seven coffees um, <laughs> and not eaten anything, so this is going to be really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. <laughs> talk about the book. Talk about the book. <laughs> um, now, this isn't the first time you two have met, is it? No, no, no. We know. Well, we've well, met several times. We share we? an agent as well, ah. uh, and I don't know if all agents have this. You know, the literary business. I'm not sure how it works, but our agent loves to have parties, doesn't mm, she? Uh, yeah. Sue Armstrong. Shout out to Sue. Yeah, wonderful agent. She loves parties, and yeah. so sort of every three months, six yeah. months, gets all the authors together. Well, she, she knows that we kind of essentially hermits, and we never go out, and so it's <laughs> it's bringing all these <laughs> these insular writers together yes. so that coaxing we can all moan, them coaxing them out with like, the offer of uh, with, free bar, booze, yeah, for a limited time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. I thought you were going to say she knows we all love a drink, so <laughs> she always throws these parties. But... It helps with the art. Yeah, it? yeah. exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Ever written on a hangover? Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. How do you find that? Because I'm I'm slightly coming around to it now, actually. Yeah. I, I just I get very a bit more vulnerable. I, yeah, exactly. I tend to write more romance when I've got. Oh, really? Romance. <laughs> I definitely. So yeah, I'm I'm in touch with sort of melancholy side. Yeah, yeah. I get yeah. really sad. It's very sad. Right. All right. Terrible. The moving stuff. I save it for when I'm sort of really shaky. <laughs> And 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 obviously you can write drunk as well. So you, can. you know you can have the the evening before you write that that boisterous rambunctious scene that you've yeah. that you've been planning, or something that just requires I don't know a bit of energy and fizz and flow. Mm. And yeah. then the next day you turn to a completely different part of the book, and you have 
the, the deathbed scene or the loss <laughs> as you as you lie there, and really all your mourning is your you know your sobriety and your 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 brain cells. And by this point, you'd have read back what you've written when you're drunk, and so that will add to the, <laughs> the, all the melancholy. To the sense. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm getting a real real window into this now. <laughs> the writer's life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just totally dependent on substances. Mm. Just uh, you know, yeah, entirely. Enti- yeah. yeah. Everything. Here we are, yeah. on the coffee, talking about booze. <laughs> Already. Already. <laughs> We're only a few minutes yeah. in. A couple of minutes in. I mean, the pubs will be open at 11 when we finish. When we finish oh, yeah, this, yeah. we can go straight out if you oh, want. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. Get a few chapters yeah. done tonight yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you share, you share an agent, you've met, you've been at many of these amazing parties, which I must try and get invited to. I would sort of describe you both, if, I, if, if someone was asking me about your writing style and your books, as humorous authors mm. and I just wondered what you thought about that and if that was accurate <laughs> Jess how do you feel about well it? how do you feel I, I, I think that's pretty accurate I think we we both have a kind of a fairly twisted sense of humour I would probably add would, would you yes. go with that dark humour dark humour yeah yeah, yeah. and well, surreal uh, it's slightly surreal yeah definitely so mm. yeah yeah. that's alright that. is it I'll take that yeah. well um, I'm going to be the, the stickler here and not I, I don't have a problem with it because I, I definitely I think that humour is a great mm-hmm. thing in literature mm-hmm. and I, I, I look for it. I look for wit I mean there are a few writers perhaps that write without you know that are absolutely po-faced that are still brilliant mm-hmm. but actually few for my taste I think you know I, I, I do want a writer that has has some, some wit and some humour in it mm-hmm. but I also think there is this sort of the comic writer is uh, is up against it's up against some stigma in the industry. I think, you know, do, do you feel this? I mean, you know, to just be called uh, mm. comic fiction is always a bit like, it's a bit of a difficult pigeonhole. Somehow. I suppose it, I mean, it, it suggests that you're maybe not writing about some serious themes, whereas mm. I think in a lot or, of... Or you're not writing sort of particularly well, even maybe. You're just sort of writing well, just for, the, for the gags. For, for a laugh, for a yeah, gag. Yeah, sort of yeah. extended series of cracker jokes. Exactly, you know? exactly. But, but I think, I mean, I mean, certainly in my work, I feel like I have to temper some of the themes which are quite dark and quite bleak uh, with, with the comedy and it, and it kind of gives it an edge. It works both ways. It kind of propels the material forward, but also otherwise without it, I kind of feel it would be quite hard to take. So I suppose it's a, a balancing act, isn't it? I mean, mm. to, to, to bring the, the comedy in, but also to be really saying something too. I think. Yeah, and I think maybe that's why I have slight reservations about that terminology because mm. if you say oh it's your you know comic writer mm. or you're a, a humorist or something like that mm. then somehow you know you're not suggesting that there is that i don't know the dark stuff or the uh, the moving stuff or, or, stuff or the serious stuff mm. you know it's mm. um it's just the it's just the punchlines and none of the mm. the none work to get to the punchlines yeah, exactly. but i i'm always i always marvel because i think that some writers seem to sort of get away with it you know and actually joe you and i were talking about this the other day there, there are some writers that are sort of comic writers but serious mm. do you know what i mean i mean <gasps> how do they manage how do they manage it i know <laughs> comic I yet know. serious comic yet serious yeah. you know sort of george saunders for instance yes. you know who, who won the book of last mm. year lincoln in the bardo all his all his writing is very sort of funny and you know it's sort of every page is kind of there's a deliberate mm-hmm. wittiness to it but at the same time he's sort of very much 
a serious writer. Yeah, no, there's a particular story called Civil Warland in, de in, in Decline. In Bad Decline. In Bad Decline, yeah. yeah. Where it is, it's kind of like the, the comedy is, is very tw twisted and quite harsh, actually, almost, with, with that. But, yeah. But, again, it's that kind of balance and leading the reader on a particular journey, really. Mm. So... A sort of perception yeah. thing as well, I guess. Yeah. You know, when I when I say that you, I, I see you as sort of comic humorous writers. I mean it in a in very much a good way, in a positive way, in a flattering way, in a flattering yeah. way, Jess. Um, <laughs> but I was, but because of our conversation, well, I'm taking offence. <laughs> I, I don't care how you say I knew you, you meant would. It. <laughs> you awkward guest. Um, but because of our conversation, Simon, last week, that's yeah. why I asked it because actually the the comic novel as a sort of genre or as a cell is perhaps a little awkward or a little bit off so yeah you're right it's it's interesting how some authors are not perceived as that even though they're doing it yeah and it's also interesting how it's sort of read by the public because i think you know people do want comic books or you know they, they want books that are going to make them laugh then you know then there's that line like you know so you, you want someone at a party that's going to be good value and and uh interesting and sort of lively and, and perhaps uh, translating the world in a witty way. But you don't want that person at the party that's like, make them laugh, make them laugh, you know, <laughs> oh, time, crazy me, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. exactly that yeah. sort of. Mm. And I think maybe there's something in that label that, that is a bit like the kind of make them laugh, you know, sort of dancing clowns kind mm. of thing. But people do want, uh, I, I know I certainly do, but I, I think it generally and actually um, the, the book that I'm here to uh, to sell you later in in the uh, the book off playoffs, um, I I very much you know uh, I think is a kind of masterpiece of of comic fiction. Mm. Um, but then if you tell people, oh, it's a it's a it's a funny book, they're a bit sort of suspicious of it as well. So they want it, but they don't want to be told it. And you know, you 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 want you want to laugh, but you don't want to be told that you're going to laugh. Mm. Mm. You don't want to be oh, it's a funny joke before you've heard the joke. You know, it's sort of um, so. It's, I think there's always that balance somehow with with humor you know it's really subjective i think maybe of all the of all the genres uh and all the all the sort of emotions that that um readers can feel comedy might be the most subjective and particular of all of them i mean we have a fairly general uh sort of agreed grasp of what horror is going to shock us or, or really sort of you know mm -hmm. um turn our turn our bones to jelly but I know people are sort of much more protective about what they determine to be funny. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose a lot of personality is wrapped up in, in humour, isn't it, as well? But, but it's interesting just hearing you talk is about the idea of how we kind of distinguish between genre and put, put certain books in certain categories. Whereas, like, for me, I just kind of feel like you're telling a story with a bunch of characters. And, right. you know, the book can kind of come across boundaries into different, into different genres. So, again, it's, it's useful for the reader to know kind of what, what they're going to be getting. But it's, there's always this danger of pigeonholing things too much. Yeah. And not just letting it unfold. Yeah, and I think that is the writing process, really, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. that's kind of like behind the scenes and uh, and front of house. You know, like you, when you describe how you write, just like that. I, I, I too, am the same. You know, I, I, I build a set of characters that are going to sort of rub up against each other and sort of um, draw each other out and, and excite me. And then I, you know, put them into scenarios. And, and if I have to move into something that's dark and twisted or if I feel inclined to have something that's 
light and farcical or whatever, then you feel you can sort of move between them all. But then when it leaves your leaves your hands and goes out to uh, the agents and editors and it begins its process of being being sold to the world and being presented to the world, then, you know, pigeonhole is sort of required some somewhat because people need a handle on it. And so, yeah, so you, you, you find, even though maybe uh, you and I just do this more than most, but we, we write books that have lots of different sort of elements to them or, or, or kind of tonal sections or you know sort of colors that we like to use as well in the in the writing and then uh, and then our poor uh, poor agent long suffering sue <laughs> and our editors have to sort of make it very clear you know sort of put the logo on the packet of cornflakes or whatever yeah, yeah. 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 what's actually inside the box what's yeah. actually yeah. The, well, yeah. like there's only one way to find and out bolts yeah. and, you know bits of old can <laughs> and a free toy maybe and a free oh yeah toy. yeah definitely <laughs> You both had success at the Costa Book Awards separately. Simon, you were shortlisted for the first novel um, a few yeah, years ago for Chop Chop. And Jess, you won the short story yes. um, category, didn't you? Mm. How much of a boost did that have on both of your careers? Because that was that was your first novel, Simon, and, and you were probably writing your first novel at that time, Jess, or you'd finished himself? Uh, well, himself was out, I think. When you, so, when you won? Yeah, ah, yeah, okay. yeah. But, um, no, it was great because, I mean, uh, prior to writing novels, I was a short story writer, and I still am. So it was fantastic, and it, and it did make me want to revisit the short story format and, and put together a collection. So that's something I've been looking at and working on. So it was phenomenal, and it's, it's a really, really great prize and the fact that it's anonymous so that you send your mm. work off which makes it a completely level playing field which I absolutely loved about it and um, yeah I mean it was just a great boost entirely yeah. Good and for you Simon? Uh, yeah certainly I mean that was that came at a really uh, great time I mean you know you have these sort of your, your debut book comes out and uh, it's incredibly exciting and wonderful and there's this sort of honeymoon period and then uh, naturally things sort of and unless you've got a, you know sort of amazing wildfire word of mouth but for most books things kind of slightly gently uh, <laughs> decline off and I think the cost was announced what sort of September October something like that yeah. so the book had been out about five or six months so the honeymoon period was over and it could easily have sort of not really done anything after that or sort of ever been heard from again but yeah the cost of just sort of puts everything it just sort of you know shines the light on it puts the spotlight on it and um and it's great i mean you know it's it's a wonderful prize really supportive of its authors um and and i i feel definitely that it sort of led to other things and then you know the book got listed for a bunch of other things and i don't know how many people would have even known existed had it not been for the Costa. I, I certainly know that at least one of the other prizes that listed it had sort of done so on the back of hearing about it through the Costa. So that was uh, incredibly useful. And it does just give you that sort of stamp somehow, you know, that little um, seal of approval mm. that, that I, I still carry with me, actually. Mm. You know, and I'm sure mm. you do too. And at the front of your book probably says that you were Costa, you know, that you yeah, wanted your yeah, story. Yeah, front of mine definitely story. has that sort of mm. Costa imprimatur sort of over the front of it. Um, mm. And I, I don't know if uh, you want to mention this, Joe. Um, maybe you're deliberately keeping this quiet, but uh, we can edit it out if you are. But, you know, uh, <laughs> you What's were going to say? <laughs> but you were, well, you were the judge for both our uh, 
Uh, well, Costa... that is yes, I was. <laughs> Costa nonce. Yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. exactly? I mean, you know, it's not an inside job or anything. No. Uh, you didn't know either of us at the time. Or I, you, I didn't. Know that... Being a judge is a is an incredible experience as well, because what you get is to read all these amazing books, stories that you'd never read otherwise necessarily, or certainly not as many, and sort of having the responsibility of going. <laughs> This is the one, or these are the these are the four mm. in terms of a shortlist, and then picking one. You know, it really is. Um, it's an honour, but it's also a big, big challenge. Mm. <laughs> and it's quite nice to bring you two together. You know, oh, it's yeah. lovely on this comfortable seat. Yeah, I can feel <laughs> yeah. the sort of the Costa emanations. Yeah, yeah. Just, just just gently. Yeah. Say, we're not sponsored by Costa, by the way, at this juncture. Um, no. no. Although, if that were possible, Costa, if you're out there and you want to, hey, just Costa, I, I don't think you need any coffee. more coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. That's his my teeth. teeth. His teeth are chattering. Yeah. If you could also provide some sort of food to go with the coffee, oh, that would be really helpful for the guests. <laughs> um, but let's stray away from those first um, novels and and short stories and talk about the now. Jess, your latest novel, your second novel, The Hoarder, um, mm-hmm. was published by Canongate very recently and we did an event didn't we uh to sort of launch it which which was great so i'm basically just going to recycle some of those questions which i thought you'd be really pleased to know yes yeah yeah (laughs) with a new one flung in just when i'm getting all restful here it's about mr flood who's this cranky old hoarder and his care and ward so i just wondered if you could um set the scene a bit and tell us about those two characters. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it follows our um, protagonist is Maud Drennan. So she's a, she's a care worker and she's been dispatched uh, to, to support Mr. Flood, who is this ancient, really belligerent, terrible old bugger who, um, who's been living in this, in this big, sprawling, gothic mansion full to the rafter with, with uh, decades full of rubbish. And um, so she she turns up really. She's his, his last chance at independent living. He's he's kind of been threatened with the with the care home, and as she starts sifting through this rubbish of of decades, this unsolved mystery comes to light. And despite uh, Mr. Flood's hostility and these really strange happenings in the house, she decides to you know keep digging, keep digging deeper. But as she does so, she revisits her own traumatic past and is forced to kind of look into her own history so it's very much about these two characters and the way they develop a kind of uneasy quite volatile friendship and the way that they also kind of unlock each other they're quite closed at the outset Mm. I was very interested when we talked before about this idea of hoarding which I had one perception of being that I would I would even sort of call myself a hoarder because I don't like throwing books away and I don't like throwing much away, to be honest. But having talked to you and read the book and learnt a bit more about it, that's that's nothing on actual hoarding. The real sense of the word is, is much more dramatic. It certainly is. And, and, I mean, this has been the interesting thing since the book has come out is people coming up to me and saying... I'm either the hoarder or I know someone who does this. And actually the nicest thing was someone coming up and saying uh, that a relative of theirs had been struggling with this for, for, a, for a very long time. And this gave us some insight into what was happening. So, yeah, I did, I did um, a lot of research into hoarding disorder 
And, I mean, this book was written in the wake of my own father's death, so it was very much dealing with loss and bereavement and uh, in a kind of comedy way. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I was really interested in this link between hoarding and loss, and, and sometimes bereavement is one of these really acute stress triggers that will set off this process. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, it comes from almost, I mean, certainly in the book, the idea is Mr. Flood is building himself a cocoon, like a almost like a prison to keep himself away from, from the real world. And the people that I spoke to, more often than not, I didn't really have access to their homes because they felt often quite ashamed about what was happening there. Mm. I mean, the other thing that links into it is this idea of if you give something away, you might need it. So often the people that might hoard have had this experience of, of, of not having something, not owning something. So it's a very complex thing and there's uh, exists with other conditions as well, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, OCD, all, all these various other things can kind of feed into it. And do you think that writing about a carer was perhaps in, inevitable for you having been in that world and done that job, not necessarily for your second novel, but do you think there was a... You had to write about that at some point. Yeah, almost certainly, because, I mean, I, I was a care worker. I worked with challenging clients and brain-injured clients and also older people. So, But I was always fascinated by this relationship between the carer and the supported person and the way that the dynamic works. It's a very carefully negotiated relationship and... It can be very challenging, but it will also be very, very rewarding. So I very much wanted to build a story on this. And when these two characters presented themselves, it felt to me perfect to explore. Well, it's a great book, as Thank you know. You. I love it very much. Thank so you. wish you all the best. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And Simon, Here Comes Trouble is mm. your latest one, published mm. last year, wasn't it? That is correct. By Weindenfeld yeah. and, and Nicholson. You know I loved Chop Chop, and actually we, we met, as you said, at the, the Costa that night. Um, <laughs> and as I read it, I remember thinking to myself, I think I'll get on with this guy. Like there was something about the the style and perhaps the the humor in it 
if I can come back to that, that made me think, I don't know, I've just got a sense that when I when I meet this dude, we're probably going to get on. And then, of course, we did. And luckily, we do get on because, you know, it could have been terrible. Um, but you're... Yeah, you're never meant to meet your, uh, you know... Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and right. it would have been it would have been a bit awkward. Uh, luckily. True, 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 true. <laughs> luckily, it wasn't. But people know you from that first novel, Chop Chop, but mm. your second book is described as a coming-of-age novel with a significant twist. So tell us about Here Comes Trouble. <laughs> significant twist. You see, there's my publisher's putting... Uh, <laughs> hey, I read, I read it, it on the, the logo on the box. <laughs> this is the Cornflakes box again. Okay, <laughs> yeah. the Cornflakes box. That might um, be the free toy, is it? The <laughs> significant twist. Yeah, when you're choking. <laughs> I did not see this coming. Well, yeah, it, it, it's certainly a, a, a coming-of-age novel yeah which is which is sort of i hope bringing something new to um to that genre and and to the table i mean it's uh it's set in a uh, a fictional former soviet country called kazbekistan which is actually a, a new york times typo their correspondent for the region um uh, temporarily forgot where he was and uh, invented a new country for uh, for the duration of an entire uh, feature so that sort of kind of s- Gives you a picture of how um, how that region is thought of in 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 the Western mind. You know, it's it's rather sort of blurred, and you think, well, all these you know these sort of massive countries out there, um, and uh, it, it tells the story of a a sixteen year old boy um, called Ellis Dow. He's the son of a newspaper editor, and he is. Um, uh, as as feckless as they come, really. You know, he's a real uh, not, not a ne'er do well, but he's kind of a sloping, directionless, um, uh, just a sort of yeah, sort of purposeless um, young man, and uh, uh, and he has a, a, a kind of terrible friend called Vincent, and they just um, uh, sort of wander the streets of this. Um, of this city and uh, and and seek employment in some way, seek seek uh, seek whatever they can find. Um, but it is very much a, a a city that is on the brink of of change. And um, I was writing the book, uh, you know, when we were uh, making our pact with uh, with Brexit and when Trump was uh, coming into power in America. And and so the book really speaks to a lot of those things. And, you know, it's about rising extremism and censorship of the press and the choices that, that we all sort of make or go along with, even sort of, you know, sort of tacitly agree with. Um, and I suppose Ellis, this adolescent man, is the, or this adolescent boy, is he sort of somehow feels like, you know, that's, that's, where, the, that's where the tussle for a, a country's soul is. I mean, you know, it's, it's in our... Uh, all these um, angry or bored young men that really uh, define these generations and these difficult movements. So, so much of the world's problems are caused by by these sort of angry, insecure young men. So, so I wanted it to sort of be, yes, you know, it's sort of political um, and 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 also sort of coming of age, but but to to fuse the two. So we're we're getting this look into uh, a country descending into uh, extremist politics and, and censorship, but through the, the eyes of this teenage boy that's just trying to get laid and go to pubs and, you know, sneak in with fake ID and doesn't understand why why there's curfews on the streets now. You know, it's all sort of <laughs> kind of a conspiracy against him, mm. this encroaching dread, or so he reads it. 
And how did you research that? Did you actually go out to a, one of those companies? Yeah, so I, I, um, I got an internship at a newspaper in, uh, in Kyrgyzstan, uh, which is a real country. Uh, I can confirm this. I've been there. <laughs> Very nice people. And they, they, uh, the, the newspaper put me up for, for a month, um, and uh, they were fantastically helpful, and they would uh, sort of take me out on all their stories and tell me the issues of the day. And, uh, I mean, I, I wrote... Chop chop a bit like this as well, whereas I, I I worked in kitchens and I, I I lived that life and 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 then I would sort of go and hide in the walk-in fridge and take notes, um, and I did the same thing with Here Comes Trouble. So I, uh, which is actually it's even stranger doing it when you're when you go into a newspaper because of course a newspaper, you have the stories of the day like this is this is what is happening, and and so I went there and I would say what what are you working on you know what it was a, it was a really hot summer. And you know, I would say, what what are the what are the things that you're most concerned about? And and then I would sort of sew them into my novel accordingly. So they had this um, this group of far right thugs that were going around and menacing people and beating up foreigners and beating up uh, LGBT people and you know, sort of whoever they could find that they didn't like the look of. And I wanted them to sort of. I thought they they are. A good, a good threat and a good sort of symbol of 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 some of the things that are now being tolerated and uh, sort of you know that that sort of slightly kind of awful uh, regressive mentality that that we've seen here after Brexit as well. You know, it's kind of sort of overt racism kind of coming out again and sort of seeping through. Not not that it ever went away, but you know, uh, enhanced. And so you know, I was in this wonderful position where I could interview my my bad guys as it were. So I could say, let's let's have an interview with these awful. Nazi thugs, and I can ask them about um, I don't know, you know. There, I wanted to get. Uh, I got the guy talking about his hat actually, because he they wore these very distinctive sort of uh, goat herd hats. You know, it was real sort of we're taking it back, we're doing this traditional thing. So I, I could I could interview my my own sort of characters to see if they they were right for the role in my book, and that uh, you know what they could add to it, which is a novel way of writing a novel. And I did you use a lot from. What you got from that interview? In the book? Um, he definitely, yeah, his his uh, his speech about the significance of his hat is, <laughs> <laughs> is uh, transposed in some way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a, I had a lot of fun out there and, and a lot of fun writing it. Even though well, we were talking about, you know, it, it it deals with some very dark themes and it goes to very dark places and it is violence is always sort of uh, under the surface. But somehow, yes, I, you know. I think that some sort of comic angle on the violence is, I don't know, for me, it's sort of the only way to make it palatable somehow. I, I, I want to be laughing while sort of tasting ashes in my mouth, you know. Yeah. And I, if I may say, I think you get the message across, but because of the way you've written it, it's just a bit more subtle, therefore it's a bit more palatable for maybe people like you and me who can't just read the 300 pages of... <laughs> atrocity you know right yeah i hope so i hope so it's a great book as you know i love it always been a fan of chop chop and that will always hold a special place in my heart (laughs) so you're you share an agent your friends your your fellow authors are you competitive now you mention it. I've never Ooh, thought of that, Joe. But race, race just... to the next book. Should we start, oh, we start it today book. and see who does it first? <laughs> Wait, Would have you, you already got it written? Oh, yeah, no. Half, ah, yeah. Ah, oh, there we go. Time, <laughs> <spot>. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for the book off. So 
this is where you get three minutes each, okay, to pitch to me and the listeners a book that you think we should all read. This isn't your favourite book. doesn't have to be that, because I think that's an impossible question. It can be anything you want, any form of book. But it's just something that, that we should all take home and, and read for whatever reason you give to us. So, without giving much away, just tell us each what you've brought. Simon, what have you got? I have brought True Grit by Charles Portis. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Published 1968 originally, I believe. You've done your research. I have, yes. Um, <laughs> quite an eccentric novel. Uh, yes, and, um, uh, well, I knew, obviously, that, that I would be here with Jess, and and I feel that, you know, we, we're both writing, as we said, with this sort of eye to, to wit, and um, and Jess is a great writer of voice as well, and I know that's sort of very important for both of us, this, mm. you know, capturing this comic voice. And so without giving too much away or sort of uh, digging into my allotted time. But I think this is um, a, a masterpiece of voice. And so, yes, I thought it would be uh, appropriate in defence of the uh, the humorous novel. Yes, very good. <laughs> and Jess, you've chosen a more contemporary book. Well, a very contemporary book. Very, very, yeah. And again, voice is important for you as well. Well, that was my criteria as well. It was a voice in this. And this is Sal by um, Mick Kitson. Going by is just phenomenal, and I'm I'm getting really excited. And this is why I've drunk 15 cups of coffee so that I can <laughs> speak as quickly as I possibly can about this book. <laughs> well, we've got to do the coin toss to see who goes first or second, dependent, and who wants a honk and who wants a bell. So, um, Jess, you get to call it heads or tails. Oh, heads, thanks. Ooh, what is that? <laughs> It's tails. Oh. <laughs> You've got a coin with it's neither tails. heads nor tails. <laughs> so that means Simon, you get to choose. Do you want to? Do you want to get it over with, or do you want to wait and see what you're up against? Oh, uh, Jess, you go first. Oh, and are right. you gonna are you gonna take a honk or a bell? Oh God, I don't mind. Um, I love the horn. You want the horn? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah She's jumped in right. You get the honk. Okay. Uh, so then, Jess, it's over to you. Okay. Three minutes, or if you want to take less, that's fine. It's just that when your three minutes is up, I'm going to honk you out. Okay. okay. All right. So, so try not to go over. On Sal by Mick Kitson. Off you go. Okay. This is a phenomenal book. It's brave. It's profound. It's original. It's about two sisters who escape a very traumatic, abusive home life. Um, the story is told from Sal's perspective, and she's 13 years old, and she's taking her little sister Pepper, who's 10, into the last great wilderness of Scotland. So they're running away from this trauma into this incredibly, terrifyingly beautiful setting. And what um, Mick Kitson's done here is, is he's used a, a tiny, tiny cast of characters. I mean, it's a cliche, I know, to say the setting is a character as well, but it is. And what we hear is Sal's voice, and she's prepared for this journey into the wilderness. She's she's watched YouTube videos on survival. She loves Bear Grylls. She, you know, so she's a phenomenal voice. She's a serious plotter, and she's she's really wants to preserve her own sister's innocence because 10 years old was the age she was when her stepfather took an interest in her so um and again i mean there's so many different themes there's this kind of profound sisterly love in the relationship between them but it's also very funny and pepper is just a force of nature she's exuberant she's just incredibly entertaining and the dialogue between them is it's just really it feels utterly, utterly real and convincing. So, I mean, I would just urge anyone to go out and, and buy it. It is just an incredible book. And I think Mick Kitson has just 
a great way of language. I mean, we get to deal with the kind of day-to-day -day survival elements. And this is a child who can build a shelter. She can make a fire. And all of this is explained in detail. She's had to learn this herself on by watching YouTube videos and so forth to, to do this. And um, and you'd think with that, you know, okay, that, that might get wearisome, but it's not. It's fascinating. And amongst this, you've got these kind of real um, vivid insight into nature and these kind of incredibly magical scenes where something happens, there's maybe a wild creature or something else like that. So, yeah, so you very much go on a journey with them and, you know, they are escaping, they are running away. So there's that kind of threat there as to, you know, will they be able to survive? And this contrast between this actually fundamentally fairly dangerous environment for two young girls but the fact that you just don't want them to have to be taken home so so yes definitely get it buy it read it please 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 <laughs> very good oh excellent came in just under the wire there as well Yay. nicely timed very good <laughs> mick kitson new writer he's a he's actually an english teacher isn't he i think he is, yeah, 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 he is. And so, but yeah, incredibly, um, he's got that voice, utterly, utterly. So, wow. Yeah. And hard to write from a from a sort of a young girl's point of it's view. It's the opposite, isn't it? A young girl, yeah. Um, and English teacher, yeah, it's, it's fantastic though. Right, very well done. How do you feel, Simon, after that? I'm, I'm okay. I'm ready to go. He's I haven't ready. prepared he anything. Looks... I've been looking. Jess has got all her notes out for this. I was a bit um, <laughs> worried to see the notes emerge, but uh, I'm, I'm going to wing it. It's all right. Don't worry. Uh, in the in the last uh, in one of the last episodes, John Niven didn't have any notes, and Viv Groskop did. Uh, he didn't win, to be fair. But um, uh, he went. <laughs> Why are you telling me this story? Though? But he still did a very good job. So you know, as um, the taking part now. <laughs> exactly. Is three minutes for you, then Simon, on True Grit. Over to you. Okay. Well. I, I'm going to do this almost like a sort of, uh, you know, uh, a Wild West salesman. I'm just going to, I'm just going to bombard you with a salesman patter. I think True Grit is not a, um, a new book, and it's quite a famous book. And you may know, obviously, uh, that there's been various film versions over the years. There was a John Wayne Western in the '60s. The Coen Brothers did a version of it, um, which, which is fine. The the films are fine. Um, and I put off reading it for a long time, I think, because I'd seen the films and I was sort of, you know, uh, mildly amused by them. Um, but the book is an absolute revelation. And I don't know if either of you have read it uh, or have any inclination to read it. You think you sort of got it. But it is it is phenomenal. And I think it's actually um, it's a remarkable book. I think it's the only book that I could give to anyone. I mean, I, I give this book regularly as presents. I could give it to my mother. I've given it to uh, my brother. In fact, I've just given it to my entire family now. So they must be getting really <laughs> bored of my Christmas presents. But um, everybody that I've read it, uh, that has read it, that, 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 that I've given it to has has um, has loved it. Has loved it. And it's a type of book. It's sort of um, it just sheer pleasure. And you, you know, I, I would give it to the to the man um, fixing my boiler. I would give it to the, the the guy in the corner shop at the end of the road. I would give it to uh, you know to anybody. It is there is never uh, a, a bad time or there is no wrong person. And I can't actually think of another book like that. You know that that is so universal just in its um, in its appeal. Uh, and it's the kind of book you know if you're sort of uh, ill or hungover, you would you, you would turn to this book. It's a sort of book you would find comfort in, um, and it's the story of again, actually, uh, like this book. It's um, a 
young, she's 13, 14 uh, year old um, uh, girl narrator. It's all, um, uh, and it's a, a, this sort of lovely comic voice, um, Matty Ross, and she is seeking vengeance for her father in the Wild West. Um, and she is utterly headstrong and brilliant. And it's her, it's this, it's, it, you know, small, uh, sort of some ways uh, kind of inherently very vulnerable girl just going into this town of snakes and drunks and terrible old cowboys uh, and obviously Rooster Coburn is this sort of um, mercenary that she hires to find the killer of her father um, and then it stretches out into the wild west but it is so so beautifully done and the voice is just a remarkable remarkable thing it's pure pleasure to read and I, I, I know that you will both love it and, uh, and, and cherish it and then you'll be giving it to the man at the end of the street it's that good Ah, oh, wonderful. <laughs> wow, two brilliant pictures. And interesting that you both chose slightly comic books with a young narrator in it, it as is, well. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, they are often just the most remarkable books in terms of voice, mm. aren't they? I mean, those are the mm. ones where... Um, when they get it right. When they get it right, yeah. yeah and as yeah. you say, I think we're both writers that voice really appeals to us. It's one of the kind of primary things for us, isn't yeah, it? So, yeah, and yeah. And you know when you read someone else's work mm. and you just, it, you know, you get that feeling quite early on after a few pages. You think, I just love spending time yeah. with this. Absolutely. And I, you know, you, they've got it and yeah. I'm yeah. just going to relax yeah. into it and every page will be sort of... Uh, you know, just sort of wonderful company. That you I just get immersed, just don't, don't you? You completely. get totally immersed, and it's just pure, mm -hmm. pure pleasure to sort of read every, every, even if it's quite, um, you know, there's lots of sort of bricks and mortar in a novel. You know, your functional mm -hmm. stuff where you're moving from one thing to another, and you're building scenes, and you know, there's lots of blocks of work that get put in. But if you have that right voice, every sentence, every word is a pleasure. Um, you know, it's just. It just feels utterly natural. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm completely sort of hooked on... Uh, uh, and I think, yeah, for some reason it seems to be best... Not best done, but but um, uh, often really well done um, by people that, that go for the sort of child narrators. Hard to do. Have you ever tried to do it, Jess? Funny you should say that. Uh, <laughs> hello. Number three. Well, uh, possibly four, actually. Oh, okay. yeah, Wait, yeah, you yeah. haven't written that as well, have you? Oh, no. oh, well, you've know. got to slow down. <laughs> come on, give I me an hour or so. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I like him. Simon sat there thinking, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Sue's going to love you. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, this is, uh, this is something I set myself up for in every episode, but I have to pick one based on, on the pitch that I've heard. And um, as always, I, I end up saying things like, oh, I love them both and I'll probably read them both, <laughs> which is probably true. But on this occasion, based on those two brilliant pitches, I am going to take home True Grit. Aha. Because I like... the Because the idea of just being able to give it to absolutely anyone and the way that you described, you know, f almost feeling like you were enjoying spending time with those characters and, and feeling so connected to them. I I think it's going to be true grit for me today. Yeah, he's got a copy for me as well in the... Have you? Have you you've got uh, several uh, copies in the coat yeah, he brought, pocket. He brought one for us all, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he opens his coat and he's got a load of them lined up. This is it, I never leave home with at least five oh, yeah. copies of true grit. A true grit salesman, true grit you know. Everywhere. <laughs> and, um, and Sal is, is out now 
on the same publisher as you, Jess. So I can get yes, Mick yes. Kitson is someone Mick to look Kitson, out for. Definitely, but but I'll leave this with you now. I've got a copy here for you. Oh, bless you. <laughs> See, you look, take this home as well. It's a lot of old rubbish. This this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll take one over. You, get them, that, whatever, you, you know. get them both. You get them both. It's just a vehicle. <laughs> um, thank you both so much for for joining me and for your brilliant recommendations and. Um, Best of luck with your with your new books, Jess. Your your ones just come out. The Hoarder yep. is just out now, and here comes trouble. Just out yep. in paperback. Good timing. Yep. Good timing. It's like I knew that. <laughs> um, book three is pretty much done for you, Jess. You think? Well, yeah, I've written the first draft, so well, it's just do. it's just a case of going through it. And yeah, working on my first children's book as oh, well. Oh, so excellent. That's, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, so far. yeah, yeah. Different different sort of frame of mind for writing even that. more bonkers i yeah. would say than usual so that that's pretty that's pretty good and uh, simon how are you doing i'm t- i'm just trying to write book three i don't get all this like just doing 25 <laughs> different things i'm i'm one one book is hard enough <laughs> but you're in the mi- you're in it though aren't you yeah i'm in it okay I'm, um, you're in yeah. it you're in it I'm in it. I'm That's in good it. enough. If you just had, We're getting had nothing, then this this <laughs> might this have been, been awkward. <laughs> this could have been really awkward. <laughs> um, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks very much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.